Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday, we're stealing beer, I'm Augie Carton. Hey, I'm John Hall. Hey, John Hall. Hey, how are you? Kennedy's here. Cass is here. Good. What's up? Good. Patreons are here. Patreons are here. I'm holding a new book in my hand, John. Oh, oh yeah. What's it called? It's called A Brief History of Lager by Mark Dredge. Oh, yeah. 2024 Kennedy sent me a text 27 minutes before we went on the air and asked me what I if I'd finished the book last night. And I said, I guess I should open the box. And I just got this book, but it's going next to Craft Beer World, the best beer in the world, and beer and food, all written by Mark Judge. How you doing, Mark Judge? Very well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome aboard. Why is um, Augie getting copies of the book sent to him? I like to read. John, you already you had don't... it. You told me you loved it. You told me you already <laughs> had it. So I was just trying to give you a hard time. I do love the book. Thank you, John. Thank you. I, I'm surprised I got away with saying Kennedy told me last minute since he swears he told me a million times before that. I texted too, so. you last week and I emailed you on Friday. So I, pre so I appreciate you taking that heat, but I literally <laughs> just opened it, Mark. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but I'm psyched because it's always nice to have a new book, even all longer. But let me ask you this. So you've just come back from Spain. I've just come back from England. Do you know a, a small town over there called Plaxtel? Uh No. Okay, it's about an hour by train southwest of London. It's just a little town, but we have family there. So I was over there for the five days leading up to Christmas, drinking nothing but fine cascale, well-tended, bright and gorgeous. And I come home to a British guy's lager book. Why do you hate cascale? Why do you hate cascale, Mark? Oh man! <laughs> I mean, straight to straight to the most important question. That's right. <laughs> I just, I just anyway, can't no, go on. beer that doesn't have bubbles. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know what if a publisher wants to pay me to write a book about the brief history of car scale then uh, i mean i'm all in <laughs> that's fair enough so let's talk about the brief history of lager book uh where do you start where do you go i didn't have a chance to read it as i've been clear about but so so tell us when i read it what will i find <laughs> um good question i guess where i started was kind of today it's you know lager is everywhere it's the most drunk drink in the world most drunk alcoholic drink in the world um and i kind of wanted to understand how it went from this drink that developed in in my mind mythical cellars and mythical caves in bavaria how it evolved from that into something that is bright and beautiful and golden and um fizzy and delicious and, and drunk all around the world so i kind of wanted to trace as much of that journey as i could kind of sociologically, culturally, historically, um, 
yeah, just I kind of wanted to tell the full story of what makes lager what it is. That's fun. That's fun. So you do have our beers, right? I do not. Do, do you he do does not. not have the beers. No, it's impossible to ship these beers overseas. Oh. Damn it! Because what's funny is as you, as you, so the first beer we're drinking over here feels like it came from one of those mythical caves. But it, but it, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like as you or said, it the could words, come from a great as you said the words, yeah. bright, fizzy, and beautiful. I took a sip of just like a bright, fizzy, beautiful. I'm guessing German lager. Like I was as you said it. I was like, well, nailed that. Good description. Good on you, Mark. <laughs> Um, that's cool. So lots of fun. And so it's funny. Your the, the, what do you call the words right after the title? So brief history of lager. And then you say 500 years of the world's favorite beer, which automatically reminded me of that Ashleyism of what does she say, John, about Ashley Carter of Beerstadt, uh, is continuously asked the question if, uh, craft lagers are going to have their moment. Uh, every new year, she gets asked that question, and she reminds people that beer, uh, that lager, has been on a 500-year winning streak. <laughs> so when I read your subtitle, Mark, I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that sentence. Uh, that's awesome." So now, next thing we need to talk about, I read a, I read a, a, a award-winning piece of yours that my man Kennedy sent over about how difficult the Western flavor wheel is for non-Western palates. Talk to us about that and how that got in your head and where you've taken that, because that's actually interesting. It never occurred to me until I was reading that, that yeah, if you know, how can you know what, I don't know, cedar wood is if you don't have cedar wood in your country. So go on. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great question. And it's a question I had to ask myself because a few years ago I decided that I didn't like the beer flavor wheel that existed, or maybe I should rephrase that. It didn't. It didn't resonate with me, or it did. It wasn't useful to me. So I don't know if you've all seen the historic beer flavor wheel. It was designed yeah. in the 1980s, basically by large lager brewers to find faults in industrial beer. Yeah. Um, there's nothing sensory in it. There's nothing about positive flavor. I think there's something like just a handful of words for hops, but then there's you know dozens of terms for negative yeast characteristics you know yeah, right. my job a lot of it is you know, like some of you is is writing tasting notes and i'm always looking for a bit of help with that and that wheel was of no use to me at all because it just was too technical and scientific there was nothing in there that was delicious um so <laughs> I, I, I said, about, that's the meanest thing i've ever heard anybody say about anything <laughs> <laughs> but it was try, nothing in yeah. there that was delicious uh. <laughs> Hey, Damn you try it. taking the old flavor wheel and you try using only words on that to make a really nice tasting note and you just can't do it. It just can't be done. That's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's very valid. So now I don't think I know the flavor wheel, which you're describing. I'm sure I could open a book and find you, it. You've seen it. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure I've seen it, but when I, I always envision. So, so I don't know if you've ever listened to the show and you're not expected to. Don't. Thank you for being on it. <laughs> but we come up with, John and I have some of the funniest ways because we don't have any of those tools and because we're doing, like you're saying, we're trying to describe flavors. Like I've definitely at some point on this show said it tastes red. 
you know what <laughs> I mean? And so, so more, more words offered by anybody are, are something I think we both appreciate and respect. So, so let's talk about it. So what, how do you divide up your wheel into what areas? Is it the woody aromatics, the fruity aromatics, the herbal aromatics, blah, blah, blah. How do you, how do you divide up your wheel? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much like that. So I went ingredients first. So I thought as a taster, as a drinker, we kind of compartmentalize where these aromas are coming from and obviously they combine and then they create new aromas with, you know, yeast plus hops can create singular carrot, singular aromas, which are not necessarily from the hop or from the yeast itself, but I broke it down like that. So I wanted to develop all of the main hop aromas that we might find. And then I segmented those down into, you know, citrus and tropical and woody and spicy. And then the same with grain, you know, going from the lighter grains into the more, caramelized and toasted and then into the more roasted and so on so i just wanted to separate them into kind of broader buckets of flavor characteristic and this is really just to help guide people to find the right word um and those words might not be on that wheel but my hope is that by using that wheel they're at least thinking in the right direction they're getting closer to what that flavor is because one of the hardest things particularly when we're starting i think drinking beer is to identify those aromas. You know, it's really, it's a really difficult thing. You know, I teach a lot of beer classes and I can easily stand there because I've been doing this for 15 years. I can smell a beer and I can be like, okay, well, it smells like this, 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 and this to me. And so mm-hmm. often I get blank faces looking back at me because they're like, what? How do you smell these things in, in this beer? It just smells like beer to me. But I think yeah. as soon as you have this connection or you can even just see a couple of words, it can guide you towards sort of unlocking the mystery that comes you know, that comes within beer. And all of a sudden you can see and you can smell it and you can understand it in a really, in a really different way. It, it's funny you say that. I, I've recently been very frustrated by a couple very, very talented wine taster friends of mine. And I did some, some beer tasting with them. And, you know, if, if you can pick out the differences you know, what makes Pinot Noir smell like Pinot Noir, what makes Cabernet smell like Cabernet. And you don't see the dramatic difference, in my opinion, between, you know, I'll just pick a simple example, but like, let's say Tetnanger and Cascade. You know what I mean? And they're like, smells like beer. And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, fuck you. You, you, you can do this. You know you do it in another part of the world. Use your imagination. Get in there and see differences. And they just, they just don't, they don't feel beer gets that chance. You know what I mean? So, so keep pushing that message for us, please. Um, especially amongst the wine community, John Hall. Yes, sir. Uh, talk about your beer since it's just the two of us make it concise. Uh, I think this is an easy beer uh, to, to be concise on, right? It's yeah. So, um, it, yeah, this is it, the one you were drinking in the last show, which I thought would home. help with your hangover. Um, mm. And I imagine what's that funny is I think the Joey Pepper Halfway Crooks beer helped with my hangover enough that I'm coming to this fresh. This one, oh good, so this one's a well, little this is sweeter. It's going to be uh, a little bit sweeter, um, like malt sweetness, not like not like sugar, not residual beer sugar. It's just the malts are a little, little, little less biscuity, a little more sweet, if you will. Mine's been open for a while, so what's your carbonation like? Because this has. Oh, it's when Mark said, when Mark gave his three word descriptor of beautiful lager, it was it fizzy. You said, Mark, I can't remember the exact word. 
But whatever word you say connected to the exact feeling on my tongue at the moment you said it. So whatever okay, so word. Yeah, this has lost some of that for me in there. But this is, it's also in uh, like a 19-2. Um, yeah, which. Uh, which I love because this. I'm is, just glad it's not somebody's 19% pastry salt like Kennedy always sneaks into these cans. This this is, to write the sentence, um, this is that bad decision train beer. This oh, is, I like it. We've been out all day. Uh, I'm getting on Jersey Transit to go home. This is in the ice bucket cooler at Penn Station, and I grab this in a uh, brown paper bag to drink on Jersey Transit uh, for the 25 minutes it takes to get to my station. Nice. So here's this, this is the beer is the that beer. I don't need, but that I'll happily drink. Yeah. So for me, this is the beer I wish. Have I ever told you about the disaster of the Modelo at the Drake show? No, a, okay. a, a tragedy in 17 acts. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was at the Drake show in what's the place in Brooklyn called there? Just Barclay, Barclay Center. I was at the Barclay Center yeah. and I went out for a beer and I was just at one of the boring tables. I believe there's good beer at there is good beer at the Barclay Center for sure at the Barclay Center. But they yes. weren't. it wasn't at this table and I didn't want to miss a single second of the Migos who were opening. Sure. So I, and it was when, remember when Modelo was having its moment? Mm-hmm. So, so it's then. I think that's still and right I was now, like, but still yeah. Going on. yeah. I was like, all right, I'll try, I'll try the Modelo because I hadn't had one. I'd never had it in a can and I'd only had it in that weird bottle. Um, and it had been years and it was the worst fucking beer I've ever had in my life. So this is the beer I wish they were selling at that table in the Modelo spot because it's clearly what Modelo wants to be, which is a nice, pretty, just so just flowery lager, right? It's just nice. It smells good. It tastes good. It's crisp. It's fizzy. It's fun. All right, moving on. Let's get back to Mark. You want to know what it is? Oh, I guess yeah, I do. If you say Modelo, I'm going to lose my mind. <clears throat> This is Modelo. No, it's not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, the regular ass Polliner um, Munchen Lager. Oh, in a 19- so it's it's Polliner. It's it's just it's Polliner. Polliner. Yep, that's it. Yeah, that's that's the beer, right? Yep, I, that's the beer. So coincidentally, I drank a ton of this on trains when I was in Munich. Of course, that right? Not too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> so so somehow your brain was connecting it for you. So. You guys talk for a second. I've opened the the logger book and I'm looking for Palmer to see if it's in here. Am I wasting? You could my ask time? the author. He's here. Yeah, I, that's yeah. what I was gonna do. Yeah. Go right to the living index. I, I, I just I figured there's no way he knew the page. Doesn't you know, look like I, I'm gonna I don't find think it. it features that much. It's nope. um it's one of those brands that of the Munich brewers is one of the least important and actually i think i'm pretty sure their best-selling beer is a uh, wheat beer anyway yeah is that right yeah yes but, see, so all right see i'm learning every day go ahead john mark least important right it's one of the best known i think globally or at least here in the u.s because they have distribution here um how, how do you rank them in terms of importance or how how did you go about doing that this is a really good question. Okay, yeah, this is um, <laughs> um, so Spartan number one, no question. Really, um, not Augustiner? Come on, man. No, 
No, no way. Got um, Augie in the name. It's very important beer. Let the man talk. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, you know, for me, if you said to me, "Hey, you can work on any beer brand that you that you would like to work on," I would choose Spartan because it is so important, so historic. And AB InBev have basically gone, well, we don't care about this brand anymore. Let's forget about it and just turn it into an Oktoberfest beer. Um, and it's a good Oktoberfest beer, but historically, incredibly important. I think we could argue that the reason we have modern lager ultimately goes back to some extent to Spartan. And they oh. were central to the whole story of, of modern beer. Hmm. Go on, defend that point. Keep going. I, I want to hear more about this because... When I think of the history of lager, I obviously think of um, Stella, right? So keep going. Tell Jesus. me more about Spartan and what it does. So Stella, hundred years after Spartan, were important. Okay. So so let me so let's do some other things. So, eighteen thirties, mm-hmm. the brewery has been set up for twenty years or twenty five years. The son of the brewmaster went on this trip. Four four guys, four sons of brewers, went on this trip, and they went to the UK. And they tried to learn as much as they could about brewing. They traveled around. They learned about industrial brewing scale. They used new techniques. They kind of understood how thermometers could be useful. They understood new malting techniques. They understood um, kind of fermentation processes, maturation processes. This is an era of huge porter tons. So enormous, large vessels um, where ale is aged for months or years um even ipa is is matured for you know six months or so before it's drunk at that time mm-hmm. he comes back to munich um with the the brewing buddies he was with and he completely revolutionized the dark lager that he was making there at the same time um a brewer in vienna created a new vienna style lager using some of those techniques um the other key thing about this time is they really shared what they were doing. This wasn't just, hey, I know the secrets now. I'm going to just use this to myself and kind of own this thing. They basically told everyone else. And there was this big element of sharing, not just process, but also um, ingredients and yeast. So Spartan, because they were one of the larger brewers and one of the better brewers who had kind of understood yeast management a bit better than others, they shared this stuff around. Um, one of the key uh, movements of yeast, I suppose, was Carlsberg. So Carlsberg went mm-hmm. to visit Spartan, took the yeast back with them to Copenhagen, and then used that in their lager. And then from there, we just see this massive web of um, connection that ultimately leads back to Spartan. Um, and actually, a couple more things which link in a bit later on. They were responsible for the introduction of artificial refrigeration into lager brewing or essentially into um the modern world the reason we have artificial refrigeration is largely down to spartan wanting to work out how they could um keep their lager cellars cool all year round um and they essentially paid uh, linda the so linda's a big kind of refrigeration company now but they essentially paid linda to do his research to study this um to create artificial refrigeration Wow. See, I'm convinced. You got me. Well done, sir. You nailed it. John, why do you hate Spartan? I don't know if I hate Spartan. And I <laughs> and I have and I have really fond memories of when I first started drinking beer, of drinking Spartan 
uh, in the tall uh, handled steins, um, the Oktoberfest and being really impressed with the flavors of it uh, and, 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 and really enjoying it. Um, and then for a while in the city, a, a while in the city, it became, I don't know, like the bargain basement choice. Like it was priced that way as like the cheap import alternative. And there's something in my mind that, you know, equated the price to the quality. Right. Hmm. And I, I don't think I haven't given it a chance in in quite a while. Well, maybe it's time to to revisit. Well, clearly, um, clearly, it is. So I when mean, I think you know, of it, when I think well, of Mark Spotlight, says I think jump, of that, I say how high. Yeah, sir. Clearly, it's. <laughs> no, I mean, do you know what? Your... <laughs> I would say don't bother. Like honestly, it's they've, they've messed up the brand. They've just forgotten about it. So it's mm. this it's this great lost opportunity of of a beer and of a brand that was so historically important and could still be relevant today but just isn't. So they've just completely forgotten about this beer, which is a real bummer. So you asked me the importance of lager. Yeah. Number one, absolutely, is Spartan. But yeah. if you if I was to list the six Munich brewers in order of which ones I'm drinking, it's probably five or six on that list. Wow. So I, when I envision it, I envision those, those refrigerator kegs, you know, those little tiny kegs you buy. For some reason, I just see Spartan in that, and that's how I... That's why I think I've always consumed it. Huh. So what else is on that list for you? So should we stay in Germany or do you want to talk about other loggers of the world? Because I've been I've been flipping through all I've been talking. I saw like there's no bad beer in Mexico as a header <laughs> and other things like that. So should we bounce around loggers? What do you want to talk about? Tell us about yeah, your book. I mean, you tell me where you, where you want to go. I mean, the book itself starts in Bamberg. And you know, John, you were recently in Bamberg. I right? was. And it's such a... I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to have been there dozens of times and I absolutely adore it. I think if you could visit one city in the world to drink lager, I think it's hard to argue against Bamberg for its pu uh, purely for the uh, variety of lagers. I don't think there's anywhere in the world we can get more variety of classic lager. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it was interesting to me, though, and I and I and I agree with that. And I've only been the one time and I'm eager to get back Um uh, I was just listening not too long ago to a conversation that uh, Mateus um, uh, was having where he was talking about the history and he was talking about, uh, you know, the city and the and the legacy and all that and immediately made me want to go back, even though I was just there about three months ago. Um, but what's interesting is there was. I, this is going to sound mean, and I'm probably OK with that, but there was huge swings in the quality of the beer from place to place. So there's somewhere it's just the water was, you know, pure nectar of the gods and amazing. And, you know, you could taste the history and the care and the craftsmanship and everything that went into it. And then we'd go into other places right down the road and you'd get, you know, a mug of diacetyl. Interesting. And it was real. It was by the second so just day, line maintenance. You're saying there are places in Bamberg that don't give a shit about their lines. I, whatever it is, it was stunning. It's just cleaning your lines. That in a city, that or it's not fermenting out long enough, or you know, there's any number. Oh, of, I'm sorry. I thought we we're talking the same beer at two different spots. No, 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 okay, no. We're talking about you. different breweries. Um, so it's sort of amazing to me is where a small city with a set number of breweries. I mean, more could always come online, obviously. Um, that there wasn't this 
collective tissue that I would think exists about all trying to strive for perfection. Hmm. And maybe well, that's just myth building. I'm still mad mind. at you for not taking me. So yeah, I can live with that. Um, oh, God damn it. Um, is it so? Let's jump on a beer too, so it's done, so we can get back to talking to Mark. But okay. um, is it Mark's accent that's making me feel this is a Burtonized beer? <laughs> it might be. This beer is making me think of train rides again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I know man. what this is. I think I've, I, I've been drinking a lot I suspect, of this. I suspect I know what it is because I suspect Kennedy has sent us the other two cans of this in the past. Um, the problem is I don't think it's as fresh as it should be. Um, but what do you think? But it it's is? not bad. Um, I'm guessing it's dogfish. Yeah, this yeah. is yeah. Um, this is, this it's, is it's a, ninety minutes. Chewy, yeah. chewy ninety. Good job, mm. guys. Good job. I was just trying to keep you on your toes. Here you but while while Mark was talking again, I was listening to that that lovely lilt that 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 accent. Where in, where in England are you from, Mark? I know you said, but I forget. Uh, I'm from I'm from in the south. Um, okay. But if you want, if you want to hear the Burton accent, my girlfriend's from Burton on Trent. So is that right? So, can, but, uh... but so we're drinking, we're drinking. We, it is ninety, right? Yeah, it's ninety. Yeah, yeah. I only I know that. I think the minutes. first, I think the first stovepipe you ever sent us was ninety. So the minute I tasted, it, I was like, up, oh, he did it again. Mm. Um, but for some reason, I feel like I've never noticed the water manipulation at Dogfish. But the minute I sipped it, I was like, man. I don't remember them hardening this water this much. Um, all right. Uh, so we can move back on to. So seriously, so yeah. you're in the South. Um, they really only drink lager in England, right? Like, I know that's <laughs> not true, but there's a lot of fucking lager drunk in England, right? When I was over there recently, I was, you know, I was truly delighted. Five or six different bars with real cast programs really doing an exceptional job of taking care of them and serving beautiful, bright, just gorgeous beer. But on every table that wasn't mine was people drinking giant nonics of lager. Yeah, uh, I guess it's the same as in the US. You know, so many people drink Bud Light and Middle Light and things. Not anymore, man. The world has changed. <laughs> no, it's all Modelo now. Yeah, yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all Mexican <laughs> lager. Uh, well, you know, Guinness is the best-selling draft beer in the UK now. Um, is that right? Yes, yeah, so I think at the end of last year it overtook. Um, it used to be Carling um, as the bestseller. Carling was the previous bestseller, and uh, now that's dropped down to number two. So yeah, Guinness is now like really, really flying in the UK. Good for Guinness. Check them out. I wonder. Do you do you have any justification or explanation for why that switch, why that move would have happened outside Guinness's world famous marketing? No, do you know? I think it. I think there was something to do with lockdown and the pandemic and, you know, most of these beers you can drink at home, you know, cast beer, you can't, you know, replicate at home, but there's something about Guinness in the pub, that perfect pint, that, you know, that surge and the settle and the foam, it just had this something that was special about visiting the pub and drinking this pint of it. Um, and maybe there's some nostalgia there. Maybe there's some um, comfort value there that you don't necessarily find with other beers. Uh, and maybe there's just the reliability. You know, Carl Scale is unreliable. I don't know how mm. you know, how many bad beers or bad or you know, less excellent Carl Scales you would have had, but at least with Guinness, you know that you're always going to get something good, and it's on in you know ninety five percent of the pubs, pretty much. Yeah, that's 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 all about. Very cool. Well, good for Guinness. I didn't know that, John. Were you aware of that? 
John? Hang on. <laughs> All right. He's Hang getting on. a Guinness. He's getting a Guinness out of the fridge. <laughs> he ran for a Guinness. Um, all right, so let's uh, so has the trend. So, we, I think you know, IPAing everything is always the trend over here for the last decade, but right now, there's like we just drank a, a beer on the last show that called itself a cold IPA, which is obviously closer to lager. Um, and what, uh, Justin, help me out. What are the two kind of bandied about terms these days for dry hopped lagers out on the West coast? Well, there's the West coast lager and, or West coast Pilsner. And then there's also, uh, you're talking about Italian Pilsner? Maybe. All right. But so, so these are just, these are just American brewers making lager and then dry hopping the hell out of it. Uh, are you are you seeing that in your small breweries over there, or are people pretty much just drink, you know, sticking with industrial lager and then brewing pale ales at the little guys? Yeah, I think it depends on the brewer's ability to ferment lager. Um, I think we're more likely in the smaller brewers to see maybe a Kolsch-ish lager, um, so mm-hmm. slightly warm fermented ale yeast um of the brewers who can do lager there's definitely the experimentation and we're definitely seeing cold ipas we definitely get in hot forward lagers but really i think the people that want a lager in the uk don't necessarily go in looking for unusual kind of quirky full-on flavored lagers they just want a classic beer right. um and i think one thing that's kind of interesting i'm always interested in how new styles um first of all develop but then kind of gain momentum because we're always seeing new styles obviously cold ipa we just mentioned it is a big one at the moment who knows whether that's still going to be around in in five years time but you know it's interesting right now but what we've seen in the uk recently is the british hellas so we now have a lot of breweries making what they would call a hellas um, if you're drinking in Munich, Helles is 5.2. Like maybe mm. you could extend down to someone like Tegensee, who's 4.8. But even locals in Munich, some of those kind of traditionalists will say, no, it's it's not Helles, it's too it's too weak. So you're looking at you know five percent. But the UK Helles, most of them are low fours. We're seeing a lot that are maybe at four percent, um, all malt and actually quite often English hopped. So we've developed this really? unique style of British lager, which I think is really cool. Hmm. So are they using like EKG and Fuggles? What, or are they using more modern stuff? Yeah, uh, mostly the classics. So yeah, I mean, uh, for me, Golding is just the... Uh, I think Golding is the best hop in the world. But in a lager, it's especially good. You know, it has this wonderful sort of honey characteristic, which is just so good in lager. I'm delighted you say that. I just wrote a recipe with some EKG on a gold ale, so hopefully it works out. I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. Nice. Um, nice. Very cool. That's okay. Promising. Yay. Um, of course, because I'm an American asshole, I had to mix it with Amarillo and um, El Dorado, but EKG is <laughs> the underlying. Um, oh, that sounds like so much fun. So I'm sorry I missed those. I wish I'd had this conversation before I went over, but I'll be back. Like I said, family lives there. Um, what else is going on over there? Um, I guess let's keep it to beer, but I'm also thinking of, of food because 
you know, the, the thing Americans call gastropubs since they learned the term and what I've experienced over there are very different. Is that still a, like, are you still finding, is that still a moving trend over there of, of really high-end pub grub with beer bars or, or people going more? When I was over there, I ate nothing but Sunday roasts all <laughs> every day, but, but, you know, I was on vacation, but, uh. So, yeah, well, that's so how we what's, all eat. We, like, we all love Sunday roast, right? Yeah, every day, if, and, if, and if full English breakfast have, every day. If it doesn't have what's it called pudding on it, it's not real. <laughs> Is that a Yorkshire pudding and gravy? Yeah. Yorkshire pudding. Yep, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if it doesn't have Yorkshire pudding, are you really in England? Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, seriously. Like, so what's what's exciting nights out these days for you? Is is it just you know, is it still pub culture? What's going on? Yeah, for sure. For me, it's it's pubs. So that's kind of the heart of British culture. The food stuff. I mean, so many pubs have to be. Well, so many pubs cannot be wet led anymore. You know, they need to be making money from food. So Is we that have. Right? I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really you know it's it's hard to it's hard to make it work unless you're really a dedicated craft beer bar or you're known for having really good beer that people come in specifically for. Um, so that food side of things is just really important to, for helping pubs survive and you know the food they make you know you would have seen this it's the menus are almost always the same you know i could write you right now a menu for a pub and it's almost like a template that you find everywhere um <laughs> it's very very similar foods and right. you know it's it's uninteresting largely or to me anyway um but then you do see these extensions that more the gastro food led pubs that are doing stuff that's just a bit different and a bit more interesting so for sure we're seeing that um i guess i don't tend to eat out in pubs so often um not for any particular reason just because i tend to go i kind of know what food i want and i'll go to a place that specializes in that if i know that i want a roast dinner then i will yeah. go to a pub you know that's that's what i'm what i'm aiming for but no for me i want to drink in tap rooms i want to drink in breweries i want to go places where i know they've got a great selection of beer and they're serving it right that's that's yeah that's 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 what we all need in the world um kennedy my man do you have a letter for us yeah we got a letter uh we got a few letters Let's is see it about one... do you have anything that will be will be fun well, do you have anything that'll be fun for mark i think so um it's right. about Let's... cider we haven't talked about cider which is Ooh. a very british Ooh. thing uh, by the way my i, I was talking about being over there my wife did a year in england for school and somehow now that my kid is 17 and can drink she got him on cider and blackmark and <laughs> oh my god I, I i've never seen you know basically it's a shirley temple but with booze he was he i've never seen a kid happier than than my 17 year old drinking cider and black all over the pubs of england anyway <laughs> let's talk about cider all right niles r says kennedy my man question primarily directed at john hall oh hello john hall but anyone can he? answer should we be looking for what should we be looking forward to in the cider space who's making some unique heritage ciders that we should uh, seek out and he says, love the interview with Diane Flint. I think that's something I did a few years ago. So uh no, that's a that's that's something that I did a couple of Oh, you did, okay. But, um, <laughs> Kennedy taking credit for Hall's work. All right. I, I think I think I interviewed her a few years ago too, John. So uh she's uh, got yeah. a book out about Southern apples. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm from the South. Read. Yes. Um it's a it's a fascinating read. Yes, you are from the South. 
I'm glad you can continuously try to justify that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I'm curious to hear what's happening over in the UK, but here in the US, right, the the larger cider producers are uh, down. Um, there's not as much interest as there used to be. Um, but yeah, some of those smaller farms, uh, you know, throughout New England or the Pacific Northwest um, that are just doing seasonal cider stuff right off of their own farms, you have to kind of know them. And I, I, I'm blanking on names at the moment, but it's one of those things where, you know, seeking them out this time of year or early in the year or spring from the fall harvest um, where stuff has had some time in tanks to from the previous harvest to, to do its work. Um, there's some fun stuff out there and, you know, but it's super niche. It's super, it's hard to, you know, like replicate it and it's hard to, you know, get consistency year after year. And if somebody only gets a certain amount of gallons or, you know, barrels every year, like that's it. So it's, it's been a hard commodity. It's been a hard beverage to scale up even with the success of Sam Adams with Angry Orchard for for a little while or Woodchuck or some of those others. But um I mean Mark, what's what's happening cider wise in the UK? I know Pete Brown did an Apples book or a cider book a couple years ago, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, a few years ago, sure. Um sounds Five, really interesting. Fives of copies sold. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, I think I think cider's Pete, really interesting. Pete, Pete won't disagree with me when I say that. That's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's um we you know cider and black is one of those early drinking experiences i think for many people you know it's just a bit sweeter and it's easy to drink and actually i think for a lot of people that ruins cider as a drink like for years i couldn't drink cider because i drank too much of it as a kid growing up and <laughs> yeah i the thought of it just made me heave so i it's taken a long time for me to come back around to it um, and cider is available in every pub. Every pub will have at least one cider tap. Most common, most will have two or three. One of them will be kind of a straight cider. Another or the others will likely be flavored. So it might be forest fruits. It might be some kind of mango tropical flavor. So flavored ciders are really popular, um, often served over ice. So that became a real big thing that we've had. Now that's not the exciting end of cider that's the industrial end of cider where you know uh, apples have have rarely been used in the actual process of that right. certainly not a fresh apple anyway um at the other end though i'm super fascinated so i would say the drink the singular drink that i drank most of last year was a cider that's made local to me and it's just the most beautiful drink in the world the way this guy does it i think it's wonderful he takes a couple of fresh apples so local one so i'm in sussex so it's this sussex style of cider um he will press them at harvest and he will create a base cider that's about nine or so percent and he will leave that in a big fat ready to go and then when he wants to make his cider he will take that and he will blend it 50 50 for his main cider this is blend it 50 50 with fresh pressed apple juice so the day before he's going to make his blend he will press the fresh apple juice blend it 50 50 so then you've got half cider, half fresh apple juice, and a cider that's about four and a half percent. And it is just the single most delicious, easy drinking, juicy drink there is. I absolutely love it. And that to me is quite a novel way of making cider. That's yeah. So I, I'm not going to layer any more poetry than that. 
for me, the interesting and everything you said rang true with my experience. Like when we would order the kid a cider in black, they'd be like dry or sweet. You know what I mean? Like they had at least two tap ciders at the time. But for me, it's always been the ciders of Normandy and the ones made more traditionally like that. You know, ones that get that kind of pastoral funk to them that have excited me. And I've never really cared about, you know, alcoholic apple juice. So I think I'm with you. I just don't have all those, you know, I just haven't had one that really rocked my world recently. And there's so much complexity. And like before I came on here, I was actually tasting a few ciders for something I needed to write. And like amazing depths of flavors. You know, you could open that and hand it to someone and say, what do you think this is? Like, what drink are you having? And they might say it's an organic Prosecco or they might say it's an orange wine. Maybe they will pick up some more of the apple flavors. But there's this incredible complexity to to some of these drinks. And to me, the problem is that they can often go too um, funky, too tart, too like mm. acetic. Uh, and I just, that to me is not a drinking experience I like. I'm not necessarily a sour beer guy. I would almost never order sour beer. You know, my palate is much more towards, well, lagers. You know, I want mm-hmm. clean, crisp, <laughs> sharp, bright bubbles. You know, that's where my palate lies. Nobody's ever going to call you a liar. Anyway, bro, thank you so much for coming on. It was really nice to have you. I'm excited to have the book. I'm sorry. Sorry I didn't pay attention and get into it last night. I would have liked to have been more versed, but it's not, you covered it pretty well. Um, everybody should read the book. Yeah, well, everybody should read all your books. They're great books. We, we get some good writers on this show for a, for a beer show. I think, I think we've been pretty lucky. Um, good job, team. Anyway, like I said, thanks for joining us. Mr. Cass, it's time for you to beg for money. And then we'll let everybody go live their life. Uh, yes, patreon.com slash deal this beer. Thank you all that donate. Keep it up. It helps us get beers to some people and obviously not our guests over obviously in England. Not to England. <laughs> but by right. the way, you have to be able to get 90 and and uh, what's it called? What was the lager? Polliner over there. Polliner, right? yeah, you maybe just I tell them what to them. go get. That's the that's least, that's the least important German <laughs> lager brewery. Yeah, the least important. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, team. Um, but yeah, it's next time, Kennedy. At least, even if he knows what it is, at least he can share the experience. Send him to Fair his enough. local local Fair bodega. Enough. Yeah. Do you have a bodega near you that has stove pipes and ninety like Justin? <laughs> I wish we don't get dogfish over here. No. No. Well, no. Don't well, worry, Augie will talk to the boss. He'll, he'll get it over there. Brooklyn over there. Shocking amounts there of Brooklyn was, over there. Hey, Mark, before you go, really quick, though, there was a brewery in yeah. England that was contracting Sam Adams Boston Lager for a while. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, yeah, you are. It's in um, Shepherd Neem in Kent. Yeah, and it tasted nothing like Sam Adams Boston <laughs> Lager. Yeah, it was terrible. It was so much diastole in it. Yeah. Um, it's awful, absolutely awful. <laughs> I yeah, I remember somebody it. handing it to me at a bar when we were in Spain, and they're like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Oh, this is terrible." And uh, and and uh, I said, "What is it?" And I said, "Boston Lager." And it's like, "There's no way this is Boston." Lager. <laughs> I couldn't remember who was contracting. Did you send up it. the bat signal to Jim and be like, "Dude," <laughs> I I did. It wasn't to Jim, but I sent it to somebody at the brewery with the picture of it, and I was like, "You guys need to stop this relationship. <laughs> this is well, bad for business." If if right. you have so had for, this, for, hold on, hold on, Augie. If you have had this buttery, important Munich lager to the world's least authentic Boston lager, this has been a show <laughs> fraught with disasters for lager brewing. 
Packers. Yes. <laughs> like, and if you, if, you, if you have had said buttery Boston lager across the pond, you could write us at stealthisbeerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, untapped, check us out, see what we're drinking on there. Maybe we'll start adding beards off schedule. Uh, follow us on all social medias at Steal This Beer as well, to the Fache Libro, to Twitter, the Gram. I think that's all that exists anymore. And that's it. Uh, and go buy a brief history. And Mark, of the 500 where, years alive. where can they find you on the socials, and where is the book available? I am. Um, you can find the book in every good bookstore. Hopefully, I've, I've. If you're in the UK, then I can. I have a few that I can sell via my website, which is beerdredge.com. Yeah, buy um, direct. You, yeah, you buy yeah, direct. Yeah, buy direct. Get the money into the hands of the artist. Yeah, the shipping costs a lot to the US, but you know, I can sign the book. <laughs> Hey, that's a bonus. You're not going to get a signed book if you buy it anywhere else. So buy direct. Yeah. All right, y'all. Get at us. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Mark. I'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.